where does yesterday's future, which is already here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Whoa, I love that introduction. Welcome, 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 welcome. Do we have a topic for you today? It applies to everyone in our global listening audience. I don't care your age. I don't care your profession. I don't care if you're working or not. This is important. So let me tell you that I found a wonderful quote from Adam Henshaw at process.st. And I'm going to read the quote as the opening. I'll tell you a little more, and then I'm going to have my four experts introduce themselves. So listen up. This is important. Quoting Adam Henschel, we now have the world in our pockets. Our TVs are smart. Our cars soon to be driverless. We live in the tech future of 1970s futurists, or at least partly. Along with predictions of technological development came ideas of utopias and dystopias. The technology we craft creates new use cases, opportunities, and dangers. The tech and its application cannot be separated. This brings us to larger questions of how we should employ technology, what risks new tech may bring, and what the arrival of these new futures means to us as humans on our little ball of dirt. This is the sphere of digital ethics, unquote. Thank you to Adam Henschel. I hope he's listening. Digital ethics, that's our topic today. So let me ask you all a question to our listeners. Are you enjoying new technologies that make your work easier, make your home smarter, make it easier to maintain your health, make your social life so much more fun? Well, I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer, although you think I might be after that introduction, but the tech you love may be compromising your privacy and your future in ways you cannot even imagine. So who's making the new rules of what we're going to call digital ethics? Welcome, welcome, welcome to our brand new series, Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. This is episode number three, and a shout out to my co-producer, at World Talk Radio, Ryan Treasure, the one and only. Thank you for helping us get this show off the ground. And Jeff Spinard, they are co-producing this show with me at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And now it's time for us to introduce my four special panelists. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Frank Diana, futurist at TCS. Frank, welcome and tell everybody who you are, please. Well, Bonnie, thanks for having me. Uh, exciting to get this launched. Uh, so, uh, Frank Diana, futurist at TCS, as you mentioned, uh, I spend my uh, my time talking to leaders around the world about uh, where, where in general society is heading, because obviously where society goes, business and other organizations are likely to follow. And so it's a fascinating set of discussions, uh, again, focused on a lot of what you talked about and more, uh, the implications of what that might drive, uh, unintended consequences that we'll have to deal with. And, and the primary thing is really a call to action, if you will. What, what type of human action is required to steer what is likely to be a very transformative next couple decades in, in the right directions? Thank you, Frank. Great overview. I'm glad you liked the intro. I came across that article and I thought, wow, this crystallizes what we're talking about. It covers everything. Thank you, Frank. And now let's move to our second panelist who was introduced to me recently by Frank Diana. Thank you for the the link. It's John H. Shannon, and we decided that I can call him my new best friend, Jack Shannon. He's a professor of legal studies at Seton Hall University. Jack, please introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Uh, I'd be, I'd love to. I, I'm a professor uh, at Seton Hall. As you noted, I have been focused on issues related to digital transformation. Dan, you're up next. Dan Weller, Senior Analyst at SAP Insights. Dan, please introduce yourself. Hi, Bonnie. I'm happy to, and I'm thrilled to be, be here. As you Thank said, you. I'm a Senior Analyst at SAP Insights, which is a think tank within the technology company SAP. And I develop and I publish research-based uh, insights, basically, <laughs> inspired by the potential of digital technology. Technology. I've also been for the past few years uh, leading a program that I conceived uh, called um, Digital Futures, and that looks at how the powerful digital forces are reshaping our world, how we live, how we work, how we play. It's a it's a, a future focused uh, um, set of thinking. I've done a lot in my nearly forty year career. Maybe that's why they call me a senior analyst. Uh, <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Management, business strategy, marketing, consulting, sales um, for, you know, big firms, small, small firms in the U.S. overseas. So uh, varied background. I'll stop there. Thank you very much. I think we have Jack Shannon back. Jack, I hope I didn't frighten you away. You want to tell us from the start who you are, what your background is? We know you're a professor of legal studies at Seton Hall University. Go ahead, Jack Shannon. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, yes, my focus is on, on the impact of digital transformation uh, as it's related to business, law, society generally. Uh, I, I've been focused on that now for probably the past 10 or 15 years. I think it's the single most important thing uh, that, that basically forms the platform for everything that's driving change in our current environment. And uh, I work with a lot of students and executives and trying to help them prepare uh, and frankly, that just begins with awareness and then moves on from there. Great word, awareness. I like that. That's the purpose of the show, Jack. And, and I'm going to introduce my fourth panelist in a second, uh, making people aware. Uh, maybe they don't want to be. I don't know. Maybe this is hide your head under under a rock or, or let's bury your face in the sand and don't listen. I, I think people need to know. Thank you, Jack. And let's move on to panelist number four. We couldn't do a show about the future without Gray Scott from Futuristic Now. Gray, please tell everybody about what you're up to. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. So my name is Gray Scott. I'm a futurist and a techno philosopher, and I'm the host of the YouTube series Futuristic Now. And primarily my job is to bring the message of futurism to the mass awareness. That's really what I've been working on for the last four or five years. And I do that through consulting. I do that through working with television and production companies in Hollywood. I do that by going on the news as much as I can and really talking about emerging technologies and how those emerging technologies are going to change uh, cultural consciousness. Cultural consciousness. There's another buzz phrase we can bandy about. Thank you, Gray. Always happy to have you. So you've now heard from my four panelists, Frank Diana, Futurist at TCS, John H. Jack Shannon, Professor of Legal Studies at Seton Hall University, Dan Weller, Senior Analyst at SAP Insights, and Gray Scott at Futuristic Now, our one and only techno-philosopher. He's the only one I know. Now we have a series of opening quotes. I asked my panelists to send me their very, very favorite future-focused quote from someone else or something else. And wait till you hear these quotes. So we're going to ask them to take about, oh, a minute and a half or two minutes each to explain the quote. Frank Diana's up first. 
first. Frank has sent us a quote from Alvin Toffler, 1928-2016, American writer, futurist, and businessman who were, whose work discussed modern technologies. Uh, he worked for Fortune magazine for a while, and he coined the phrase information overload. Of course, you all know Alvin Toffler as the author of Future Shock, 1970 book, worldwide bestseller. It's only sold over 6 million copies, probably going strong. Frank, here's the quote you selected. The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those that can't read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Frank, you're up. Tell me what this means. Well, I think it's a perfect quote, and, and he's a great person to follow in terms of the future, regardless. But from the quote standpoint, everything we talk about on the show and beyond um, is really a challenge. It's challenged by a belief system that we all have that is rooted in, in a past era. And so much of these challenges that we're dealing with really require us to think very differently and kind of abandon those belief systems and intuitions that have worked for us before and understand that they're likely to change. And so I think this quote in the context of learning is perfect, but the, the key piece of it being unlearning. Uh, everybody's talking about, you know, the, the reskilling of society and we all need to relearn and constantly learn, but the, the toughest thing for us humans to do is unlearn. And so at the heart of a lot of these topics that we talk about today is that the real need for humans to unlearn and let go of some beliefs that, again, are, are really rooted in a different time and appreciate the fact that things are going to change. And as we, as we talk about these kinds of ethical discussions, it's fairly clear that they need to change. Thank you very much. Good intro to that quote. I love quotes from Alvin Toffler because he was there, future shock. Frank, 1970, how many years ago was that? 30 plus 19. It's on the verge of being 50 years ago. Is, is, does that give you goosebumps, Frank, that we're quoting somebody who wrote the word future in a book title 50 years ago? What do you think? Yeah, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. amazing. Absolutely. Guy. Thank you. Jack Shannon has sent me a quote from, this is a new one for me, Jack, and I'm going to try and pronounce the name with my best French pronunciation, Paul Virilio, V-I-R-I-L-I-O, 1932 to 2018. We just lost him last September. A French cultural theorist, urbanist, and aesthetic philosopher. There's a phrase for you. Best known for his writings about technology in relation to speed and power with references to architecture, the arts, the city, and the military. Wow. Here's the quote. Everybody listen up. This this is going to be a new favorite. When you invent the ship, you also invent the shipwreck. When you invent the plane, you also invent the plane crash. And when you invent electricity, you invent electrocution. Every technology carries its own negativity, which is invented at the same time as technical progress. Jack, I think I want to cry. This is this is such a heavy quote. Jack, tell me how you picked the quote, and are you a big follower of Paul Virilio? Uh, I, I think he was ahead of his time in many ways, and uh, you know what drove him was his. Uh, you know, he he came of age during World War II in the south of France, and and saw firsthand what what technology could do on the downside. And I think, I think this quote body speaks to, uh, frankly, the issues that we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, there's a plus and a minus. And culturally, over the years, we've tended to um, point toward technology as the saving grace that would only be the best stuff. Uh, you know, we tend to vastly overestimate the impact in the near term and really underestimate the impact in the long term. But we also tend to downplay the bad stuff. And 
what we're seeing in the in the current discussion over these last 12 or 18 months is a recognition that there is a downside to this stuff, uh, that when you begin to uh, collect data, you're going to disrupt that privacy balance. And frankly, I don't, I think people, uh, you know, think, wow, my iPhone's terrific. I can do everything on it, but they don't realize what they're giving up in, in, in the process. And, and this quote speaks to, to all of that. And remember, not just the inventing the ship and the shipwreck, you, you've also, uh, from the side, invented the pirate. Uh, so there's all sorts of unintended consequences when you do these things. And Very interesting. That The phrase keeps yeah. popping up, unintended consequences. We're going to be talking about that. Thank you. Yes, people are responsible for all of this, aren't they, Jack? People decided we want to break out of the envelope, bust the envelope open, break out of the box, change things. We want to invent things. We want to have innovations that are fun and cute and interesting and sexy and making a lot of money. But then what did we do? We're just going to leave it at that. Thank you. Great quote. Dan Wellers is up next. Dan, I have to tell you, for some strange reason, on all of my radio shows in the past two weeks, at least one panelist has used a quote from the movie The Matrix. In nine years of hosting radio, also for SAP, and now this new show, The Future of Now, The Matrix is popping up almost every day on my shows, and I'm not sure why. I never saw it. It's not my kind of movie, but I'm intrigued. So Dan Wellers has picked a quote from Morpheus in The Matrix. Those of you not familiar, 1999 sci-fi film when computer programmer Thomas Anderson Hacker alias Neo uncovers his truth. He is drawn into a rebellion against the machines with other people freed from the Matrix. He meets Morpheus who offers him the red pill that will show him the truth about the Matrix or the blue pill that will return him to his former life. I'm not going to be a spoiler here. Uh, Let's leave this alone and I'm going to read the quote Dan has picked from Morpheus speaking to Neo. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. Dan, I love this quote. I think this is my favorite one so far, but later today somebody's quoting the Spoon Boy. What can I tell you? Dan, how did you pick this quote for our topic today? I can't get over I'm I'm matrixed. Go ahead, Dan Wellers. Well, it's the first time I've ever used a quote from, from, from The Matrix. And you should watch the movie and then decide whether it's your kind of film or not, because I think, <laughs> I I, I think it would be. Okay. Um, I love this quote. You know, I love this quote. I, it, it's our, our reality is a product of our senses, right? What we see, what we hear, what we touch, and how these senses have evolved uh, over time, right? We can see, I think the figure is we can see only one ten trillionth of the entire visible spectrum. So we see and we hear only a tiny sliver of what's all around us all the time. Our, our brains are basically encased in darkness, right? There's no light, there's no sound inside our brains. It's, it's, so what we're, what we're perceiving is already essentially a, sim, a simulation. It's based on what natural selection has evolved to let us perceive. So, so this is one reason why after only just a few decades, right, after the invention of digital, digital technology, that these alternate digital world realities can be so compelling, so realistic, and why we're so easily manipulated. If you talk about the downside of them, they're just electrical signals. So the same as the real 
reality as far as our brains are concerned. So, so the question, and from an ethical standpoint, are they? Does that make them any less real? Can we ever really know? And some argue that no, we can't know. And so, if we can't know, then are the ethics and the morals the same, no matter what reality we're in? Right. So, so it just poses a lot of interesting questions, I think. I like the fact that we're posing questions. I think that's what we're going to be doing in our, our conversation as we dive into the roundtable in a few minutes, uh, Dan. We're going to be posing a lot of questions for our audience to think about, to consider. And the word awareness popped up a few minutes ago. That's what that's all we're trying to do, have a conversation about awareness. Thank you, Dan. Gray Scott is with us, and Gray has sent us a wonderful quote from Arthur C. Clarke, spelled with an E on the end of Clark. Sir Arthur Charles Clarke, C-B-E-F-R-A-S, 1917 to 2008 was a British science fiction writer, science writer and futurist, inventor, undersea explorer, and TV series host. I love that. He is best known for co-writing the screenplay that became the 1968 movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. Gray, I should have the music in the background. He also earned the nickname Prophet of the Space Age and won all kinds of awards for many years. Arthur Clarke, Robert Heinlein, and Isaac Asimov were known as the big three of science fiction. Here's the quote Gray has selected. Whether we are based on carbon or on silicon makes no fundamental difference. We should each be treated with appropriate respect. Gray, talk to me. What do we mean here? Well, I thought this quote was interesting because it speaks to the dilemma we're getting into in this age of perceptual computing, virtual reality, augmented reality, and machines that look like humans. And the idea that we're moving towards creating machines that have machine consciousness, not human consciousness, but machine consciousness, that could mimic human consciousness to a place where we can't tell the difference between what is human and what, it, what isn't. So I, it's, it's sort of, um, it's not, I'm not advocating, by using this quote, I'm not advocating that we should treat machines the same way we treat humans. Mm-hmm. What I'm, the reason I thought this quote was interesting was because it, it presents the question of what we and how we will treat these machines in the future and how we will treat this unreality that we're moving into or hyper-reality as I've been calling it. Um, that's the question. This is a this is the age of of questioning what what is reality, what is real, and my my thesis on this quickly is that, um, as Dan pointed out earlier, we only see a very s- small sliver of what we call reality. Well, that isn't reality. That is that is a small fraction of what we call reality. The, the true hyper reality is much more complex, and that's where we're headed. Thank you. Uh, there's so much to this topic. I'm, I'm so excited and thrilled and privileged to have the four of you with me today. If you're just tuning in, this is episode number three of my brand new series, co-producing with Ryan Treasure at World Talk Radio Voice America. The series is called Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. We are live today. It's Wednesday, June 19th, 2019. And our topic is fascinating. It's bigger than one episode. And I think my panelists know we're probably going to invite you back for part two, even though we're only not even halfway through part one, Brave New World of Digital Ethics, Who is Deciding the Rules for Our Technology? And I should put in parentheses that we all 
created and now we have to live with it. Okay, so we've already gone through the opening of each panelist introducing themselves. They've each brought me a wonderful, provocative quote about the future. And now we're going to just have a little up close and personal segment called What's your favorite drink in the whole wide world, whether it's something you're going to buy, concoct, store, or make in the future, or drink in the future, or whether it's something you love right now. So let's just quickly do a lightning round. Frank, Diana, TCS, number one, where are you calling from? And number two, what's your favorite drink? Let's go real fast around the table. I'm calling from my home office in New Jersey. And uh, Bonnie, I've done so many of these shows, I feel like i got to start making up drinks. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my, my favorite answer, which is always red wine. Um, it is my favorite in the whole world. So if you ask me what I'd like to drink at any given time, it would always be a glass of red wine. Okay. Do you have a favorite brand, favorite label we want people to know, something special, or just no. red wine? No, I like to experiment. Okay. I had a guest a couple of weeks ago, Frank, on one of my Game Changers radio shows. He also said he liked red wine. I said, what do you like about it? And he said, it brings people together in conversation and camaraderie, and it's the experience, not the exact kind of wine. I, I like that a lot. I have a feeling yeah. you probably agree with that. So let's Very move good. on to Jack Shannon at Seton Hall University. Where are you today, and what's your favorite drink, Professor? Uh, I am also in my home office in New Jersey, and I'm going to stay with coffee. Uh, my, uh, uh, it's, it's a drink that you can have almost anywhere at any time um, and allows you to have a great conversation while you're enjoying it. And, and so coffee would be my first choice. Is there a special kind of coffee? Is it a, what we used to call high test, full calf? Or is it some concoction that has a name with 5,000 different parts to it, Jack? Any, any more specifics? Uh, <laughs> no, Bonnie, it's uh, caffeinated coffee is very good, uh, keeps me focused, keeps me awake, uh, and, uh, and and that's usually what I go to, although I must admit that after about 6 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm, I'm off caffeine uh, if I have any plans to sleep through the night. So. I'm with you. I'm with you. If I make a mistake and have a coffee after 6 or 7 at night, it's a 3 o'clock in the morning day. Can't, cannot close those eyes. Thank you very much for the reality check there. Dan Wellers, where are you today and what do you love to drink? Tell me a story. Uh, hi, I'm in Danbury, Connecticut, also in my home office today. Um, and your question, it, it, there is no favorite drink. It depends on, depends on the season, depends on the time of day. So I'll tell you what, where my mind went when you asked me the question. It went sure. right to a drink called uh, ne uh, Negroni, <laughs> which is a Campari-based cocktail, uh, which is kind of a summer drink. And I know it's only 11 o'clock in the morning, and I'm that's not about fine. to go have one. But, but, uh, but that's, just, that's just where my mind went. So that's my answer right now. That's, well, I'll tell you, the Negroni is a right popular now. Italian cocktail made of one part gin, one part vermouth rosa, one part Campari garnished with orange peel, considered an aperitif. Properly made, it's stirred, not shaken, and then strained into a chilled cocktail glass. How does that sound? Good, Dan? It sounds like I am going to have one right after this. Thank you. <laughs> of course, I knew that. I knew that by heart. Right, I, just, <laughs> I just closed my eyes, and, and all of those wirings of nerves and sensors, I just said, okay, Bonnie, pull up the recipe for Negroni, and it was right there in my mind. I am so I'm only teasing. He knows what I do. Gray Scott, where are you today, and what do you love to drink these days? So I'm actually in Connecticut as well, um, and 
I I think my favorite drink is the second cup of coffee. Ooh. <laughs> Not the first, but the second cup of coffee. Um, it's bittersweet because I know it's the last one I can have because I can't have more than two. Uh, like you, I won't sleep if I have more than two. Okay. Any special kind of coffee? Flavor? Brand? Anything? Uh, yes, actually. There's a company called um, Moustache. And they deliver every two weeks. You can do it every week, but we do it every two weeks. And they send you um, unique coffees from around the world. It's a subscription-based service, and it's the best coffee I've ever had. Wow. Moustache. Um, okay. Is that M-O-O-S-T-A-C-H-E? I think so. And they they use small, um, privately-owned, sustainable um, coffee Breeder or, or growers, and so it's it's every week we get this description of these amazing farms around the world that are producing coffee. Actually, would you believe the Mustache is a prop company, and they sell <laughs> mustaches as props? I'm not kidding you. TheMustache.com <laughs> is a store for props, so we'll have to figure out where the other one is. But thank you, very interesting. Thank you, Gray. Uh, in case anybody's wondering, I I am still Bonnie D. Graham. I'm based in my home office. My broadcast studio is in Durham, North Carolina. It's kind of a grayish overcast day. We can go for a 20, 30, 40 degree range spread on an average day here. Almost any time of the year, we can start at 68 degrees in the morning, go to 100 in the afternoon. I'm still getting used to it. And I won't tell you what my favorite drink is because I don't really know anymore, but all I'm allowed to have on radio show days is water. No caffeine. Jack and Dan and Gray and Frank, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine because can you imagine what I would sound like if I was caffeinated? We'll just leave that one on the table. We're usually taking a break at this point in the show, but the conversation is so good. And my listeners and my panelists know I'm all about the conversation, not about the breaks and the music. So we're just going to continue with a deep dive into our panel's roundtable statements. Everybody sent me such wonderful statements. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one from each of you, one prediction headline, and have you take two Two minutes to tell me what it is. Then I'm going to go to the next one, and we're going to just build and build and build on our headlines, and then we'll have time near the end to debate them or discuss them. But if anybody has any real objections to a headline, if you violently disagree, I'm going to just put that out there. Just dive in. So I'm going to start off with Frank Diana, and Frank sent me the following prediction headline number one, Digital Assistance will evolve toward digital agents initially handling activities for us on our behalf. Frank, give me two minutes. What does this mean to all of us? So, and you left out the one part where they then evolve towards autonomous agents. Um, the um, assistant that we all know today, Siri, Alexa, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and you started the show by talking about uh, the conveniences that we appreciate with all these technologies. And so yeah. these assistants make our lives somewhat easier by providing us answers, playing our favorite music, uh, you know, you name it. Um, but they're gaining an awful lot of knowledge and intelligence about us, and eventually they start to learn an awful lot about what makes us tick, and, and so they start to do things on our behalf. Now, the examples there are obvious examples of your agent knows your calendar, knows that you have dinner reservations at 5, and so it calls up the the uh, car for you, and the car is waiting uh, to take you to the restaurant without you having to do a thing. So it starts to move towards an agent that does those kinds of things for you. Uh, but ultimately, as these agents start to know more about you than you know about yourself, and, and that's not far-fetched in terms of uh, where this is all heading, then the agent starts to become somewhat autonomous and, and maybe starts to make decisions for you on your behalf. And, and that's the key thing here, decision-making. 
uh, we're starting to really let go of decision making and, and give it to machines, if you will. And so, what if uh, the autonomous agent, who knows you better than you know yourself, decides that that date you want to go on is not the right person for you? So you you really shouldn't go on that date. Or um, we know how you really think, and in the next election, you really need to vote this way because the election rhetoric always gets to you. Those might seem far-fetched, but ultimately that's where this is all heading. Some of that is scary, and some of that is actually comforting for me, speaking as me. Thank you very much, Frank. Let's go to a prediction headline from Professor Jack Shannon. The first one he told me was, the continued integration of physical and digital spaces will define ethical challenges. I'm going to let you finish explaining. What is this all about, Jack? We're seeing that we're really seeing the, the merger of our digital and physical beings. Uh, everything we've discussed today, from Frank's point just just a moment ago, uh, related to the uh, to the rise of the digital agent, uh, to Gray's point about um, about uh, uh, reality, to to Dan's question raised by by the Matrix. Uh, you know the. Most of us carry a smartphone everywhere. It's the first thing we pick up. It's the first thing we look at in the morning. It's the last thing we look at. It has more information about us, intended and unintended, uh, than we've ever seen in a device before. So the result is uh, that that the ability to control that uh, is being diminished on a regular basis. Some would argue on a daily basis. So when you can't control that information, then your agency, your ability to control how you move forward uh, in your life becomes disrupted. And the reality is that that just raises ethical questions uh, of, uh, of remarkable import. Thank you very much. Very interesting, Jack. Dan Weller sent me one prediction. It's a little similar to Frank's, but we're going to have you explain your version of this. Dan says, in the future, each of us will have our own AI-powered bot or virtual assistant that will seamlessly do specific tasks for us, like getting a haircut, automatically negotiating prices. I like that one a lot. So, Dan, what's your take on this, please? Yeah, it's not so much getting the haircut. It's scheduling it, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So although it might actually be giving us a haircut at some point. Um, (laughs) Yeah, similar to Frank, um, uh, um, because it raises some interesting ethical questions. First, the act of scheduling itself, the 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 the, the Google Assistant. Um, there's an example of already Google Assistant calling up and making a, a haircut appointment for someone. The the AI placed the call, spoke to a human receptionist, responded with you know, pauses and phrasing that mimicked human speech, parsed the nuances and the context of the receptionist's comments, and, and then completed the trans the, the transaction. It never identified itself as a bot. Now, is that ethical? Was it ethical to not identify itself mm. as the, the bot? Um, so that's one ethical question. The, the, the wider one, perhaps, is that the, these AIs are increasingly intermediaries, right, coming between us and, you know, companies and, and <coughs> other systems to make intermediaries and all kinds of decisions, and we happily accept them, right? We accept the shows that Netflix suggests, the, the, the results that Google returns to us, right? But, but what we're not conscious of uh, is that 
in whose interests are these algorithms that are returning these results? In whose interests are these algorithms created? And they're certainly not us, right? Not, not with these companies' business models of selling ads or taking a percentage of everything that you buy or selling your data without your, without your permission. So, so, you know, it's no shock that AI systems are designed to benefit owners first, but that's, and that's fine, but consumers need to be protected. Individuals need to be protected. We know should be able to find out how these algorithms work. Mm-hmm. The issue is that this technology advancing exponentially, government and regulatory bodies move, I'm not even going to say linearly, I'm going to say glacially. Right? So, so, so there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue there. Um, and so I'll stop there. There's more to that, but it's, it, we can perhaps talk about it later. But, but um, yeah, that's why I chose that, that, uh, that prediction. Thank you very much. I love that one. And Gray Scott, you're next. And Gray, there's a word in your first prediction. I don't know. I looked it up, but I'm not going to explain it. I'll let you. The The first prediction you sent me is deep fake. That's D-E-E-P-F-A-K-E with a capital F for fake. One word. Technologies are not only for celebrities. Gray, please unpack this. What is deep fake and what does this have to do with celebrities and all of us? So we've probably seen uh, on social media networks recently videos of uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Kim Kardashian, and these are videos that were uh, originally taken and videoed um, by Mark and his team or Kim Kardashian and their team. But the thing that makes this interesting is that an artist uh, used AI to manipulate the face and manipulate the voice to create a new video of them saying something they would never say. And this mm. is something that's, that we're already in the age of deep fakes where someone could take your voice, Bonnie, from all yes. of the broadcasts that you've done and make yes. you say anything that they want, and it would be so convincing that you would have to question whether you actually said that. That's how wow. real people become. Now, the, the thing that's interesting is obviously there's political implications, but what I want to get to today in this conversation is the ethics behind this and also how we protect ourselves and our digital identities. You know, mm-hmm. we have, we have identity theft now because someone maybe steals your credit card or they steal your social security number, but we're going to have to move into the higher echelon of protecting the digital identity. And I just want just, just very briefly here, I want to say something that happened to me right before we came on the air. Sure. Go ahead. And this perfect, this perfectly illustrates What's, what we've all been talking about and, and where we're headed. So I got an alert 15 minutes before we went on the air from LinkedIn, and, it, and the, the alert said, get to know Ryan Treasure before your meeting. <laughs> now, here's the thing, Bonnie. I never posted that I was meeting or that I was even doing this show on LinkedIn. Wow. I mean, how creepy is that? I didn't even tell LinkedIn that we were doing this. And yet, LinkedIn's AI found one of you posted about it with my name, and it realized that it needed to send me on my phone an alert telling me, hey, you should get to know Ryan Treasure before you do this show. I mean, that just illustrates where we're headed. I didn't give it permission to interrupt my day. I didn't give it permission to look at my calendar. And yet, here's an alert telling me to get to know Ryan Treasure. 
Great. That's quite interesting to me. I posted the following tweet uh, just before. uh, Well, I did it just as we went on live. We are live. Hashtag digital hashtag ethics are hashtag AI algorithms keeping you from getting a job. Is your TV watching you? Is Alexa recording you today? And then the link to the show at Frank Diana, at J.H. Shannon, at Stillman Leaders, at Gray Scott, at Dan Willers, at SAP, at Voice Am AM Business, which is where Ryan is, at Biz User, that's uh, Mohammed Amir, and at Evan Kerstel. Those are the people I thought would be interested in it. You also received a calendar invitation from me that had Ryan Treasure, who is my co-producer, and he's he's listening right now. I'm sure he's saying, what's going on? <laughs> and he's the Vice President of Tech at World Talk Radio Voice America. I never made an introduction between the two of you, I didn't post anything on LinkedIn, and nowhere in my tweet, Gray, does it say the name Ryan Treasure. So I am as mm-hmm. bewildered as I possibly can. Ryan is listening. Ryan, if you want to dial in and talk to us and jump in, we'd love to find out if you did anything on LinkedIn where you said you wanted to meet Gray Scott. Because, Gray, I talk about you often on these shows. So, Gray, uh, a little creepy, very interesting. How did it make you feel? Puzzled or upset or intrigued? What was your um, first emotional reaction to this? Well, this is the techno-philosopher in me. My first reaction was, how dare you? <laughs> my second reaction was, oh, I probably should get to know Ryan Treasure. Who, you know, I, so very quickly you can see what's happening to our culture and what's going to happen to us individually is that we're going to have that moment of, okay, this is creepy, and then the second moment is, how dare you, and I feel violated, and then the third moment, we get past that really quickly, and we become curious. So, I mean, this just speaks to what we're talking about in this show, that that these are not science fiction concepts, that this is actually happening. It is happening. Let's quickly go around the panel before I get to second headlines. Frank Diana, weigh in on this quickly, then Jack Shannon, and then Dan Weller's reaction to what happened to, to Gray a few minutes ago. Frank, what do you think? Well, first of all, not surprising, right? I mean, where this is all going and its ability to connect a whole bunch of dots that we humans couldn't possibly connect, uh, that's a really great example of that. Um, so I don't know that I would have reacted, uh, because I'm constantly getting LinkedIn notifications, et cetera, and obviously this is a, a unique situation, but I don't know that I would have had uh, any reaction one way or the other. I, I expect this, quite frankly. You do. Interesting. Jack Shannon, you teach this topic to your students. I assume some of them are kids. Actually, uh, Ryan just responded, Gray. I have to read you. He's on, on a Skype chat with me, and he says, uh, of course it was oh, – wow, he's talking about you. Of course it was um, – I'll have to find out what he's talking. It's cryptic. Okay, very interesting. Um, Jack Shannon, what do you think? Are you surprised? Are you encouraged? Are you creeped out? What is your reaction? No, I'm, I'm so far past creeped out. It's remarkable. Uh, no, I don't think so. I, and, I, and I'll tell you, I think Frank's hit it on the, on the head. Uh, and this is one of the challenges that I face with, with a lot of my students and, frankly, with many of the executives that I coach in this space. They're not really aware of the depth and breadth of the data collection uh, that they're subjected to. So when, when they see this kind of a connection being made, they're they're surprised by it, uh, but if you consider that every uh, retail outlet pretty much that you walk into has a beacon or beacons that uh, drag data from your your smartphone and share it with everyone from Facebook to Apple to uh, to, to to a vendor, uh, and then coupled with what, for instance, Google is scanning 
from your uh, from your emails or your searches, etc. Uh, it, it's it. Frank's right. I think it's only going to become more pervasive and more invasive uh, because we do not have um, uh, ownership of our own data, and and we don't know who's collecting it, and we don't know what they're doing with it. That's the issue. You nailed it. Thank you. Dan Wellers, respond. Yeah, I expect it. I'm not surprised when it happens. It makes me deeply uncomfortable every time Mm -hmm. it does. I have no reason not to trust LinkedIn. If I lived in an authoritarian state, I would have an entirely different series of threats. And that's why we we just we don't know. Um, And that was just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more data out there. And it's not being controlled. Um, if bad actors get a hold of it, you know, and, and we are giving it up too easily and not thinking about those negative outcomes, as Jack talked about at the beginning. Thank you. Gray Scott, I just want to wrap this up. Fascinating case study here. Uh, Ryan was getting gas in his car when you were saying that, but he's going to be listening to the show. I told him at about mm-hmm. 38 minutes after is when we talked. So, Gray Scott, why don't you just do a shout-out to Ryan Treasure and tell him hello. I think he'd like to hear that. <laughs> uh, hello, Ryan. But but here, here's the thing, Bonnie, just to, to wrap this up yeah, really quickly. Sure. It, it wasn't necessarily that I was surprised by it. It was that uh-huh. I was offended by it. It was... I never, I've never given uh, LinkedIn permission to uh, send me an alert to my phone. I've, I've never signed up for any calendar on LinkedIn. So it wasn't that I was surprised because I know that it has the capability of doing that. It was that yeah. I was offended that it had intruded without my permission. That's, that's really what this is about. And that's what people are going to start feeling. They're going to start feeling the pressure yes. of, of smarter and smarter AI. Yes. And I think what that makes somebody like me do, Gray, and everybody is that I would turn around and say, who's 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 looking? Who's watching? Who knows that I have heard the name Ryan Treasure and that why do they want me to meet him and what is this all about? And I would I would feel a little, a little creeped by that. I certainly would. And offended, uh, maybe, perhaps. Let's move on. Uh, Frank, Diane, I have another headline from you. This is a really good one. It's part of what I read in my tweet. You say, you or someone you know will likely wind up on the wrong side of an AI algorithm, and then you'll discover you're not eligible for a loan, you're not eligible for a particular medication you may need, you're not eligible to rent a particular apartment, I'm going to add, and you're not eligible for a certain job. Frank, unpack this for me, and and then we're going to go to one from Jack, and keep this moving. We have a few more minutes. Go ahead, Frank. Sure. I mean, two pieces to this. One is, uh, as we said earlier, the decision-making that we're kind of giving that away to uh, AI and, and, and machines. But the bigger one is, uh, and we haven't used the word bias yet today, but the biases that are being baked into these algorithms um, will will alter how those decisions are made. So a great example, which isn't mentioned here, is how these algorithms will be used in the context of fighting crime, um, maybe making decisions on behalf of a judge in a courtroom or uh, trying to determine whether someone's guilty. And and the biases are very obvious as, as these things are being used in the kinds of individuals that are being uh, picked upon, if you will, in the context of crime fighting, just as an example. Uh, so this one's a really big one. Um, and the bias discussion, I think, we'll, we'll see it amplify over the next several months um, because there's a, there's a problem in diversity when you think about who's actually developing these algorithms. And that diversity bias in and of itself creates this bigger bias, at least to this issue. 
Thank you very much. Jack Shannon, you're up next. Let me look here. Uh, let's see which one. Okay, uh, let's do number headline number two. The developing data ecosystem will further exacerbate the disconnect between privacy and ethics. Jack, tell me more. It, it's, it's the ownership question, I, I think, Bonnie. Um, there is no law in the United States yet. California has a Privacy Act coming online in early 2020. But we have not seen an articulation in law that we own our own data. Uh, that The result of that is that we would not necessarily have, to get technical for a second, a cause of action to defend ourselves if Gray decided to sue LinkedIn because they decided to just take his stuff and, and and give him a notification or share it or sell it to a third party where it could then be uh, uh, used uh, in another way. Um, couple that with Frank's point uh, in his last in his last headline. Um, we haven't talked about bias, but. Um, quite famously, the uh, uh, the bias is there because the, the AI databases are being developed using everything from Wikipedia to, in, in the case that Frank raised, to the arrest records, uh, the criminal information available from a particular city's police department and judicial branch. The problem with that is that we already know there's bias built into that, um, and we're not correcting for it. Um, uh, one more, uh, facial recognition. We know facial recognition handles white males quite well, but not too much with everybody else. So we're really, really pushing the envelope here, uh, and, and we're ignoring the traditional reality of who owns what and whether they can then protect that. Absolutely. You're hitting all the all the hot points here. I'm telling the four of you, I'm inviting you back for part two, and I think we'll make it all about case studies for your predictions, because this is just, people need to hear this. They want to hear this. We loved your case study. Gray, I'm looking at prediction headline number three from you, because I think there are a lot of applications for this that will scare people a little bit, what you say. Gray says, Apple may release a new pair of smart glasses in 2020, installed with what they're calling quote, reality operating system, unquote, we will need ethical guidelines in order to protect our minds. When you said our minds, Gray, I got chills reading this. So, Gray, you ha- have to rescue me here. What's what's going on? What is this all about? So the rumor is uh, that Apple has, for years, has been working on a pair of um, augmented reality smart glasses. And uh, there is a possibility they could release it in 2020, possibly 2021, and just like the iPhone, um, almost every futurist out there who's been paying attention to this has made similar predictions that we are moving away from the handheld device and we're moving towards a smart glass and eventually digital contact lenses. That's, that's the progression of this. It seems to be moving in this direction. Now, um, speaking of case studies, I'll give you a very specific um, yeah. case study here, and this is a science fiction case study. There's a new show on Hulu called The First with... Um, Sean Penn, and it's set in the 2030s. It's all about the first uh, astronauts going to Mars, and everyone on the planet has a pair of smart glasses that they sometimes put on when there's something they need to, to watch or if, there is a, if they want to play games, whatever. 
and it's very subtle. It's just like a regular pair of glasses, and you can uh, co-connect, uh, sort of like a hive mind. You can connect those glasses so that if you're at a party or if you're in a gathering or a meeting, you can say same video, and so everyone in the room sees the same exact thing. And it's a it's a it's a digital augmented overlay onto the real world, or it's a virtual um, system which makes the black the glasses go black, and then you see a completely virtual world. So this is mm. this is the ne- next step in perceptual computing. This is the next stage in our evolution of hyper reality and hyper digital reality. And so what are, my question here is, what are the ethical implications of reality operating systems? Um, you know, Apple has been a leader in privacy to a certain degree. Uh, they're not perfect, but they've, they've been a leader in saying that you, your, your data should be yours or it should be kept uh, private. But what I'm concerned with here is that Apple is creating the overlay for our new reality, so, whose hands are in that creation? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I have a comment here. Ryan is listening. Your, your new best friend, Grace, got Ryan Treasure. <laughs> he just texted me on Skype and he said, science fiction becomes science fact. Holy blank, yep. blank, blank. I'll let you fill in. Very. <laughs> we need Ryan on the show. Uh, Dan Willers, you didn't send me, you sent me the one prediction, which was great. But do you want to quickly comment on what Gray just thought? And then we're going to go around the table and, and have everybody pick your one favorite prediction we've discussed today. So, Dan, you want to comment on this, this new, uh, the reality glasses? Yeah, that, yeah absolutely. Thank you, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Gray, I'm going to ask. I'm going to comment as a question, which perhaps needs to be answered at a later date. But if you knew who was creating that, if you knew who was writing that that algorithm for that overlay, what would you ask them? What are the things you would want to know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to answer that specifically, I would want to know um, their corporate ethical history. I would want to know um, their philosophies. Now, see, this is, this is why techno-philosophy is so important, because we're not asking our CEOs what their philosophies are, and we should be, because this is not a product that sits on your shelf that you buy anymore. This is something that is being embedded into our minds now. So the product is, is the rearrangement of our neural networks. So, you know, we're, we're breaking the barrier, the psychological barrier now. So I would want to know... What are your philosophies as a CEO? I mean, I know what what Elon Musk's philosophies are. I mean, he believes in protecting our our species from extinction. That's why he's trying to get to Mars. He 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 understands that climate change is is an issue, so he's trying to change that. So I would want to know the ethical background of the company, the developers, and I would want to know their their philosophies. Hmm. Dan, you good with that? Oh, there's so many more questions, but absolutely, yes. Thank I you. know. You know what? We've, we've got to spin this off into part two. Gentlemen, I'm, I'm going to send you all a date to continue this, and I think we're going to title part two the creepiest AI stories you've heard or you've experienced. <laughs> and Gray, you're going to lead with the Ryan Treasure story. Got, we've got to get that out, out more. Uh, creepy or weird, or is this really happening? It'll be called Science Fiction Becomes Science Fact. Creepy AI story. I think we're going to get a huge audience for that. We're just about out of time. Three minutes left. Frank, Diana, just instead of uh, commenting on the others, just parting words for digital ethics. 
two sentences, please. Then Jack Shannon, then Dan, then Gray, and I got to close. So, Frank, two sentences, digital ethics. What's your wrap-up thought? Well, I, so wrap-up thought is this, this gets worse before it gets better. Um, both from a legal and regulatory construct perspective, I started by saying those are all built in a different era, uh, and they haven't evolved. So without that evolution, this problem gets more acute. Thank you very much. Jack Shannon, professor at Seton Hall University. Closing thoughts, digital ethics. Go. Bonnie, it's the awareness question that underlies all of this. Uh, The vast majority of our fellow citizens are just completely fundamentally unaware that any of these developments are occurring at, at the level that they are, and we need to make them more aware. Thank you very much. Dan Wellers, closing thoughts. Yeah, um, the the phrase digital ethics, when I think about it, um, ethics are ethics. Digital ethics aren't necessarily different than other ethics, but so to me it makes more sense to to think about it as ethics for a digital age. Ooh, I like that. Very profound, Mr. Wellers. I'm going to call you Dr. Wellers there. Gray Scott, closing words, you get the last word. Two sentences, what you got? Sure. So I would say my last uh, statement here is a call to action. And I think the call to action is that we should uh, begin to question the the leaders of these companies. We should begin to question their ethics. We should uh, force them to speak on their philosophies and how they're going to protect us in the future question to me i'm asking gray is do they want to protect us in the future and do they feel the need to protect us in the future let's just leave that one alone i want to thank my four panelists i want to thank aaron keller uh the engineer extraordinaire at the business channel team at voice america world talk radio i want to thank ryan treasure who has come up so many times in the show thanks to gray uh for being my co-producer on the show and i'm going to do a shout out to our listeners all over the world if you have a really hot topic provocative interesting sassy edgy compelling about the future of now we'd love to hear from you you can find me at either uh, at radio red 77 on twitter 777 three of them or bonnie.d.gram at voiceamerica.com tell us what's on your mind help us put together a panel we're going to be covering cbd oil soon oh, what is it for who is using it how is it delivered very interesting we have a show next week on we love sports technology loves sports fantasy sports game on with ray austin former nfl we've got a lot of really great topics planned. We'll be always here on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Business Channel. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you to everyone who participated and my panelists. I will be sending you an invitation for part two, so be aware. It's not LinkedIn, Gray. It's me. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.